Welcome to another sermon podcast from All Souls Anglican Church, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Thanks for joining us as we study God's Word together. These weekly sermons are part of the teaching ministry of our church. Have your Bible ready as we begin this week's sermon. And stay tuned when we finish at the end to find out more about us. Now this is the 97th sermon in our sermon series on Luke's Gospel. And this evening's study is chapter 24, verses 13 through 35, page 885 in your Pew Bible. Now we've jumped forward in time from last Sunday's study of Jesus' final hours on the cross in the final chapter to the final chapter in Luke's Gospel. It's because we've examined the account of his burial in the garden tomb by Joseph of Arimathea and his bodily resurrection this past Easter day. At that time, we saw how the angels meeting with the women at the tomb early the next day threw them into confusion. It's clear that none of Jesus' followers had the slightest glimmer of any hope at all. They knew what we know that what is dead stays dead. That's why the angels must ask a simple but startling question. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? They tell the women, in other words, ladies, don't you realize you're in the wrong place? And so the angels encourage the women to remember that Jesus had taught regularly that he was to be delivered into the hands of sinful men, crucified, and rise on the third day. And the women realize, my goodness, that's today. So they gain illumination. They realize they did not understand Jesus at all. They assumed they knew all they needed to know about him. But now they see confirmed in the amazing physical evidence of an empty tomb before them, the proof, the proof of all that Jesus said, that he really is the Son of Man. Now, we saw this pattern emerging in Luke's account that's common for every believer as they come to faith in Christ. As the women move from confusion through a question asked by another to illumination, and that illumination brings an excited, joyous proclamation. They tell the truth about the Lord Jesus to the other disciples. But they too are then thrown into confusion. It's nonsense, they cry out. What is dead stays dead, they know. But Luke tells us that Peter runs to the tomb and indeed finds it empty. Others follow. So he went home marveling, stunned, puzzled, confused. And that's where the story picks up this evening. Now why would Luke set his narrative in such a way as this? Well, there are two reasons for it. One I've already suggested and the other you already know. And the first is this pattern we see of conversion, this idea of moving from confusion to illumination in question and then to proclamation itself. This is not a unique pattern here in the Gospels or in the New Testament. We find it in the Old Testament as well, particularly if we turn to the Psalms. Many of the psalms describe how the psalmist has been on a journey. It begins with confusion and disorientation, 
but leads to instruction, then illumination, and then concludes in joyous celebration. Now, the second reason is we have indeed been on a journey ourselves, haven't we, these past two years? It's a journey that Luke hoped his friend and patron Theophilus would also make and come to the conclusion that Jesus is the Son of Man, the Messiah. So we would expect in our study of verses 13 to 35 a similar path. Now only Luke includes this account, and we can see why he includes it. It fits his theme, doesn't it, that began back in chapter 9, verse 51. Jesus began a journey to Jerusalem. And again and again, he keeps showing what it means to belong to him. He keeps showing the power of the kingdom of God, what it means to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus. And so the Lord Jesus explains here the entire journey, the journey he's traveled for our salvation. It's like a miniature of the entire gospel in this account in Emmaus. You can feel here that he's speaking directly to his friend Theophilus. Theophilus, we've been on a long journey together. It's taking you some time to read my gospel, my dear friend, but where are you on the journey yourself? Are you anything like these two disciples? Are you anything like the disciples on the Emmaus Road? Is this what is happening to you, my dear friend? So he tells this story that happens a little later on that first Resurrection Sunday morning using the same pattern from the Psalms. Luke tells the story that begins with confusion. Then there is instruction which brings about a glorious transformation and proclamation at its conclusion. This journey, you see, my dear friends, is the Christian journey, the believer's journey. We've all had this when we've trusted in Christ. So let's begin then with confusion. Luke begins with two disciples. Now they're making their way back to their home in Emmaus. And as Luke tells us, it's about seven miles from Jerusalem. The one is named Cleopas, and the other is unnamed. Now, who are these two? Now, I would suggest that Cleopas is most likely Clopas. He is listed in John chapter 19. And my reason is simple. It's because not until the advent of mass printing and publication in the 19th century that a spelling, orthography, became fixed. For most of human literary history, words were spelled phonetically. So regional vocalization and accent would be reflected in vowel changes that gave rise to spelling differences. So Cleopas and Clopas can be used interchangeably. Now, who is this Cleopas, this Clopas? What, what's going on in John 19? Well, he has a wife, and it's her name that is listed in John 19, Mary, who's called the other Mary, the wife of Clopas, of Cleopas. 
The thing is, this other Mary is the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. So that means that Cleopas and his wife are our Savior's uncle and aunt. The second isn't really named and doesn't say anything in the conversation that continues along the road, but that would be appropriate too for a woman in modesty of the culture of the time would remain silent when they're accosted by a stranger they don't know, someone outside of their family, and so their husband would speak for both of them. Let's look at the details now in our text. Notice the body language Luke gives in verse 17 as Jesus comes up alongside them as they walk. He asks them, what's this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And Luke writes this, and they stood still looking sad. Cleopas and Mary are deeply confused and perplexed, and it's obvious by their, the way they're standing and the way they're holding their heads and the facial expressions on their faces. What could they say? They don't see what you and I already see, do they? That this stranger who's caught up with them is no other person than the Lord Jesus himself. Well, next I want you to see the description of the Lord Jesus that Luke uses so skillfully. As he describes this scene, he tells it all from their perspective. He appears at a distance as a total stranger. He follows them, then comes alongside them. In other words, he increases his, his gait, his walk, in order to do so. Then he becomes an inquirer. He asks questions. He asks questions that display what the two people think about Jesus. Then he moves from being an inquirer to a teacher as he reminds them of this passage and then this other passage and it's still another passage in the Bible. And they're drawn to him so that when they reach their destination, they say, well, why not stay with us as our guest? Now, do you see the pattern here that underscores how true this is as being the Christian's journey? Because this is how the Lord Jesus is toward you and me. He's a stranger. Then an inquirer as he searches our hearts, as the scripture does its work on us. He becomes our teacher that way. And as we receive him at his, as a guest at the end. And then notice at the end, he's no longer a guest, but he's the host. He prays, he breaks bread, and he gives it to them. So Luke helps us see this pattern, that they're brought from their confusion to this joyful knowledge in the Lord Jesus and receive gifts from him. And that's what the story is about. How two people then, and how you and me now, can be marvelously brought to Jesus Christ. Now, what biblical principle do we see here? It's only after we look back can we understand what's happening to us in those recent days and months or years. We are a Christian at last, 
and we look back across the course of our lives, we can see how the Lord Jesus has been pursuing us. He's made us ask questions that we never really have asked before. And Jesus, through the power of the Spirit, has been helping us understand our Bibles so that it becomes a new, a different book. We want to know more. And eventually we discover, as this couple did, that Jesus has been pursuing you. He's been bringing you to himself. And when people become believers in the Lord Jesus, they describe this same pattern of what we read here. We have this mistaken idea that something has changed in the world. But that's not it at all. It's that our world has been changed by the Lord Jesus. How does that happen? That's what happens next, isn't it? Jesus gives them instruction. Now, I think he's probably got about a couple hours here because the distance is about seven miles and people in that time period would have been able to walk that distance fairly easily because they're used to walking. So let's just say a couple of hours, say two hours or so for seven miles. So that would mean about four 30-minute sermons to instruct them in the scriptures. But I want you to notice something very important because it's important for each one of us as we share the scriptures with those whom our Savior is calling. You can sense that they have an inquiring. They want to know more. And they've come to you as a Christian believer and you're going to share the scriptures with them. Because notice what he does here. He finds out first where they are. In other words, he asks questions first to find out what they understand. And it's obvious, isn't it? What they understand is confusion, really. They're confused. They've experienced some amazing things. They've heard Jesus' teaching. They've seen the miracles. My goodness, if my hypothesis is correct, and this is indeed Jesus' auntie and uncle, well, they've seen him grow up from a small boy, perhaps was there for his circumcision and for his bar mitzvah. So they know who Jesus is, or they think they do, just as the women thought they did on the resurrection morning. And now they hear this amazing thing. They, they know the scriptures say that if someone's crucified, they're cursed. How can this then be the Savior? And now he's raised from the dead? They're confused. Now what happens next is so significant. It's so encouraging for us as believers because notice what Jesus does not do. He does not do something amazing. He doesn't like, you know, make a thunderclap and have lightning bolts flash and go, ta-da, it's me. What does he do? He takes them back to the Bible. All Jesus is saying to them is simple. Haven't you understood your Bible yet? Haven't you seen how this is God's glorious plan for your salvation? And so Luke tells us how he took them from Moses and the prophets. He would have gone right back to Genesis and taken them all the way through 
In two hours, he pointed them to the promises that God would bring salvation to lost sinners through the suffering and death and resurrection and glory of his beloved son. Genesis 3.15. The promise of, to Adam and Eve. Although there would be conflict between God's kingdom and the kingdom of darkness, a seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, even as the serpent bruised the head of the heel, I beg your pardon, of the woman's seed. Now, what does that tell you? That salvation and victory has a cost. The cost of the shedding of blood, of sacrifice. And so Jesus would probably have added the redemption of their people out of slavery in Egypt because of the sacrifice of the Passover lamb and the blood on the doorpost and lintel on each Israelite home. And how God says to us how in the temple blood sacrifices are brought every day, presented in sacrifice as a substitute for your sins. And they're repeated daily for centuries. Why? Because none of them were the sacrifice to take away the sins of the people once and for all forever. And then he might say to them, don't you remember your master's words and his determination to go to Jerusalem and how Isaiah said that there would be one who would come to be the savior, led like a lamb to the slaughter, like a sheep to his shears, is silent, bruised, afflicted, broken, and then in his triumph would bring blessing to his people and shut the mouths of earthly powers in astonishment at all that he had done. And there are more and more and more. In other words, it is the message of the entire Bible. And this couple knew their Bible. They were taught it from childhood. You know, it's interesting to look at the two questions of chapter 24. Earlier in the day, the women are asked by the angels, why do you seek the living among the dead? And now Jesus asks a similar obvious question. O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe, all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Now what is the sobering lesson in both these questions? Both groups knew their Bibles, didn't they? They knew their Bibles on a scale that we do not. But still they missed its point. What did Jesus say in John chapter 5 to another group of Bible experts? He said this, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. But you won't come to me to have life. You you can have a Bible. You can know what it says. You can own a hundred Bibles and not see the message that it's all about Jesus. All points to him. Look to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. You can be an Anglican. You can be an evangelical, a Roman Catholic, a professor of the Old Testament or of the New. 
You can be a minister and still miss the point. We know this, don't we? You can tune into hundreds and hundreds of preachers every day to hear tens of thousands of ministers miss the point. Certainly they believe in the Old Testament scriptures, but just as certainly they do not believe all that it had said. They miss the point. But notice, Jesus does not leave them as they were. They begin confused. They're wonderfully instructed. Then they gain a glorious illumination. Now there's something about this stranger that fascinates the couple. They are attracted to him and they want him to stay with them. They see him break the bread as they have seen him do many times before and their eyes are opened. Do you notice how in remembrance things now begin to fit together for them? They recall how Jesus described their symptoms. They were foolish people and they go, yeah, we were. It was as plain as plain could be. We were confused, but it was not the text that was confusing. We were confused. And then how Jesus, the surgeon of our souls, diagnosed the cause. Slow to believe. Slow to believe. All the prophets have spoken. But notice the cure is the same. They both had exactly the same experience as they say to one another, was it your heart burning within you? when he walked with us and opened the scriptures to us. And that's illumination. At last, I get it. At last, I see. We're no longer slow of heart to believe. We have become those who have burning hearts. Now, we may not experience it as dramatically as Cleopas and Mary, his wife, But the heart warmed is warmed to love the Lord Jesus. It's because the light has come on and you understand it is all about him. This should be so encouraging to anyone here today who may be confused. Because the Lord Jesus knows the geography of your life inside and out. He knows the temperature of your soul, the state of your mind, where you are right at this moment. But his method is the same. To meet us where you are right now with his own person framed in the beauty of his word. The life-giving, energizing truth that Christ suffered and died For your sins in accordance with the scriptures. And then on the third day he rose from the dead in accordance with the scriptures. Just as the apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians. He is the savior promised when Abraham's hand was stayed from sacrificing his son Isaac. He is the atoning Lamb of Passover. He is our tabernacle, 
our temple. He is our bread from heaven. The suffering servant who was numbered among transgressors. The son who suffered separation from the father for you when he bore your sin. My dear friends, it's all about Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about us by going to our website, allsoulsnj.org. There, you can support our mission by making a one-time donation or starting a podcast member subscription by clicking the Support the Show link under the Contact Us tab. You can also support us in prayer by clicking the Email Newsletter tab at the top. All Souls Anglican Church. Simple Church. Ancient Truth. Real People. New Life.